This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. People were doing things like taking mini retirements or choosing a different job. And I saw that people were making these decisions and the impact that it was having on their happiness. And I realized I wanted to do something like that too. Like I wanted to make changes now. People were saying, don't get to the point where you reach FI and you're just miserable and need to like detox for three years. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill. And today we're talking about a slow path to financial independence and enjoying the journey along the way. Now, as someone who started on the path to financial independence a few years ago, I was both inspired and intimidated by the accomplishments of the folks I've interviewed on this show. Some people have amassed a million dollars of investments in their 30s and 40s, and they feel like superheroes to me. And knowing that I'm in my late 30s, those stories can also feel discouraging at times. But is it really financial independence or nothing? Well, my guest today doesn't think so. Jessica from the Fioneers joins me today, and we're going to discuss how we can all take a slower path to financial independence and how it might be better than the hard-charging traditional path. Jessica is the co-founder of the Fioneers. That is a website dedicated to pursuing financial independence and enjoying life's adventures today. She and her husband are pursuing financial independence in Boston, a high cost of living area, while working in nonprofit organizations. When she's not writing for her blog, Jessica loves walking outside with her dog, hiking and traveling around the world. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So Jessica, let's talk about your background a little bit. What did you pursue when you got out of college with regard to your career? I understand nonprofit is your is your work today. Is that what you started on originally? So similar. So when I so I graduated from college with a degree in anthropology, so not exactly a career-focused degree. I thought I wanted to do international development work. And so actually when My husband and I got married right out of undergrad. We went to teach English in Nicaragua at a university that served primarily the indigenous and Afro-Caribbean populations. And it felt like a dream job because I wanted to do international development work. It seemed like a really exciting thing that would enable us to get into that path. And then within a few months, we both got really sick. Long story short, we couldn't stay healthy given the living situation that we were in. So after a few months and losing 25 pounds, we decided to come back to the US without a plan. I can back up and also say that this was 2009. So we had graduated into the recession and there weren't really jobs available at the time. So we came back needing to figure out what to do next. Yeah, you know, that sounds very similar to the situation we're in right now almost, right? Yeah. So what I did was basically I was applying for like any nonprofit job that I possibly could. I think I was committed to saying like, okay, if I can't do international development work, I'm at least going to do nonprofit. And so I ended up taking a job as a street canvasser in New York City, which I did for a year fundraising for 
a child poverty nonprofit. Like the people who are like on the streets of New York City will stop you and like ask you to talk and like give them money toward a charity. Yeah, it was that. It was probably the worst job ever, but I needed a job and I was like, determined to do something that was focused on the sort of a mission and making the world better. But I applied for jobs that entire time. And finally, a year in, I got a job doing AmeriCorps with a nonprofit organization. So AmeriCorps is like the domestic Peace Corps. And in that entire year, I made $11,000 before taxes. So these two experiences were really challenging. I'm thankful that I had them. I think they actually launched me into my first real nonprofit job because when I was then hired into a real nonprofit job, I started off doing fundraising and partnership building with corporations. And so I had built a lot of those sort of sales and fundraising skills to be able to apply in in the nonprofit world. So then once I actually got a footing there, I was able to then, you know, double my salary over the course of five years, transition into working in HR, which is the field that I'm in now for my part-time career. Got it. Got it. So you continued working in HR for quite a while. At what point did you decide you were interested in pursuing financial independence? Yeah, great, great question. So about two years ago, I realized that like regardless of the fact that we were working in nonprofit organizations, we were living a conventional life. And we had always said we did not want to live this conventional life of nine to five work focused on making more money so you can have more stuff and have a nicer house, you know, all of those things. And on the outside, we were incredibly successful in, in our careers. People would sort of look to us to say like, these were people who are successful, but we we were really unhappy with where we were. Or I guess I should say I was extremely unhappy with where I was with this, you know, the routine of like getting up, getting ready for work, going to work, traveling home, recovering from work, and then just getting up and doing it all over again. And, you know, I found I was living for the weekends. I was living for the two to three weeks of vacation per year. And like, I just knew I wasn't happy. And actually, so my husband actually introduced me to the idea of financial independence in late 2017. So he had known about it, but I think that we were like, oh, we work in nonprofits. This isn't for us. We don't have crazy high incomes. Like we don't fit here. But then as we started to earn a little bit more money and as we sort of realized that even though we work in nonprofits, like we still feel like we're living a conventional life. I think I was at that point of being open to say what else is out there. You said you weren't earning, you know, some super high incomes. Can you share generally where you were, you and your husband with regard to your nonprofit careers at that point? Yeah, great question. So we we don't actually share specific numbers, but at that point we were both like I think I was working at a manager level in the nonprofit that I was in and supervising projects and supervising an HR assistant at that point. Corey had grown. I think he was sort of a director level at that time and managing a team of people as well. So we definitely were like low six figures combined, something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You said you were unhappy and the general grind was getting to you. What about the grind, I guess, made you feel like maybe financial independence was your way out? 
I think I just knew that I was like extremely unhappy. And then Corey gave me the book, Your Money or Your Life to read. And I read that. And I think two things stuck out to me from that. I think one thing was just kind of an understanding of the mechanics of finances and thinking like, oh, I just sort of thought everyone worked for 40 years and saved some money and then hopefully they had enough to live on in their old age, right? So I I think having my eyes open to the fact that there was something different than this traditional narrative of working 40 years. I think the other thing was realizing that people were figuring out what they really wanted in life and then they were figuring out how to pursue it. And I think the thing that struck me most from that book was when it asked the question, what would you do if you didn't need to work for a living? And I didn't have an answer to that. So the fact that it brought up a plan for you that you can have a plan or that, you know, you don't have to do this forever was your epiphany moment, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So talk to me about your then pursuit of financial independence. It sounds like you probably read that book and then maybe dove in a little further for some other resources. And talk to me about your plans at that point to achieve financial independence. I think I'm really, really lucky So for me, I was ever not until the last couple of years engaged in the finances, in our finances. I just sort of left that to my husband. I think that's somewhat typical of women sometimes, which I think is now that I'm involved in it, really sad. But but Corey had always managed the money. And so I turned to him after I read the book and I was like, so is this real? Can we do this? And he was like, yeah, our timeline's 10 years. And I was like, wait a second, what? So that I think was in some ways really motivating to be like, wow, we're sort of already on this path and there's a 10-year timeline. However, at the same time, I was so miserable in my current job that I couldn't imagine spending another 10 years living the same way just to get to a point where I could retire early. Like I would not and could not do another 10 years in that way. And and part of the context of that is I was experiencing some pretty severe burnout at the time to the point where actually about six months later, as we were like still figuring out, do we want to like do this five thing where I started having severe panic attacks and severe anxiety and actually needed to take a medical leave from work. And I took about six months off and then eventually quit my job. So there was also something that sort of pushed me into, I would say this path of financial independence, but also saying like the traditional path isn't going to work for me. And I wish that I had made that decision earlier to have made that decision for myself to say like this traditional path is not going to work for me. So I'm going to do something different. Like I waited until sort of there was health ramifications for me to then say, okay, I really need to figure out a different way to do this. And so then around that time that I started having the health challenges, I then started reading about people who had reached Phi and were actually warning us to not take the same path that they did. So people like the mad scientist or Carl, Mr. 1500 talking about like 
how they went too fast, that they were miserable along the journey. They warned us that it doesn't fix your problems. It just exposes them. So taking a slower path and cultivating enjoyment along the way is important. So I really took that to heart too, because I definitely did not want to be miserable for 10 years just to end up reaching Phi at that point. And then I started looking around and I realized that actually so many people were already figuring out ways to build lives that they loved along the way to Phi. But these weren't necessarily the people that were being recognized by like the mass media stories. And so the narrative that Phi is like people who make tons of money and save as much as they can and retire at 30 and you know, push, 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 push the entire time is not actually the real narrative of Phi as I started looking around. So people were doing things like taking mini retirements or negotiating working from home arrangements or choosing a different job, something that they would enjoy more even if it paid less or starting their own business or becoming a freelancer or working part-time. And I saw that people were making these decisions And the impact that it was having on their happiness. And I realized I wanted to do something like that too. Like I wanted to make changes now along the path so that I didn't get to the point where, you know, like people were saying, don't get to the point where you're, where you reach Phi and you're just miserable and need to like detox for three years. That's a beautiful sentiment. And a lot of the conversation I try to have on this show is that lifestyle design as opposed to, you know, hard charging financial independence. And, you know, I admire those folks that did the hard charge and then got to that point because that's like amazing. It's very cool. But yes, I mean, a lot of them, as you've mentioned, come back and say, you know what? I wish I would have slowed up a little bit. I wish I would have enjoyed the journey along the way. And I'm glad to hear that you found that very early in your path to financial independence. So so talk to me about the changes. You said that you moved away from your job and, and then took six months to relax. Obviously, you have to have some sort of financial stability in order to do something like that. So where were you guys, I guess, in your financial journey at that point to be able to make those smart, conscious decisions for your health? So one thing that I that I will say is I was very also fortunate to have a disability insurance policy through my employer. So during the time that I was off, I did receive 60% of my salary, which was definitely a support. But before, I think as I, you know, was just at the beginning of having those panic attacks, part of the stress was from like what can I do? What is like, what are my options here? I would say it was really at that moment for me that I actually dove in to like understand our finances for the first time and to like understand what FU money really means. I know this is a family show, so I should say like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can make it family friendly. You could say like, um, uh, forever uh, un- untouchable fund. or something like freedom, that. Freedom, free yourself. Freedom unlimited. Fund. How about freedom, freedom unlimited? Unlim- yeah, we'll go with well, freedom yeah, there unlimited. You go. Sounds good. <laughs> you know, and I looked at that and I looked at our emergency fund and then I was like, oh, this could cover our expenses for about nine months. And then I was like, but this could cover our expenses if we both lost our jobs for nine months. And I was like, and it's just me who is like deciding if I want to take a little bit of time off work while still getting 60% of my salary. Once I looked at the numbers, it was like such an easy decision to say, 
I really need to do this for myself because we, you know, we had that stability already in the emergency fund already in place. And then an interesting thing that we found was that when I was like no longer so miserable, we actually spent a lot less money because we weren't ordering in, we weren't eating out as frequently. I had more time to focus on, you know, like I could do something like borrow a book from the library rather than just like buying it or something like that, you know? And so we realized that we actually spent less and kept our savings rate about the same, even though we had lost 40% of my income at that time. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. So you guys had financially prepared and you had also realized that when you're not so crazy busy that you actually don't have to spend as much money. Let's talk about your version of SloFi because it sounds like you have found this path for yourself and you've enjoyed it and you've made some changes. Are you now back into a different career? Let's complete the story of you before we talk about SloFi. I want to know where you are in your career. You said part-time work when we started the conversation. So tell us more about that. A little over a year ago, I actually went back to work for a nonprofit working three days a week. 
as an HR manager. So I work typically Monday through Wednesday. I then have four-day weekends every week. And I spend all of my time focused on things like living a balanced life and self-care and my health and relationships. And then also focusing on my own passion projects and projects that I'm excited to work on. So things like Pioneers, the blog, and also building my own business on the side. So it's fun. I, I sometimes get to Sunday night and I forget that I have a job that I need to go to on Monday morning. And it really feels like I'm, you know, I'll, I almost might use the analogy like I'm an actress in New York and I'm like focused on my my passion work and I have this other job on the side right now that is, you know, helping to cover the bills and, and sort of the finances of it. But if I can get to a point where I can do my passion work full time, that would be incredible. And so my my life feels infinitely better and completely different than it felt two years ago. It's been a really exciting process to to work through like what really are my goals and dreams and like what would I do if I didn't need to work for a living and realizing that what I would do if I didn't need to work for a living is something that could generate income. So why not pursue that now? It's a good epiphany moment for you to have experienced. Obviously, I'm sure you didn't want to go through the mental trauma that you did. But now that you've gone through that path, you realize that there's a better way and a different way that works well for you. So with that, let's talk about what slow fi means to you. You're a pioneer of this movement, a pioneer of this movement of slow fi Tell us what that means to you today. Yeah, so I would say... For me, SloFi means that I am intentionally using my financial freedom to build a life that I love along the way to Fi. And it's balancing this idea of long-term financial freedom with the right now lifestyle design. So sometimes people hear this and they think like, oh, then what's the difference between that and traditional retirement? Right. So, so that's something I've been thinking about as well. And I think sometimes when people think of traditional retirement or in the FI community, they think, oh, I'm just going to spend, I can just spend a lot more money now because I'm not going to retire until later. Like, first, I think that's not really the focus of Slow FI. I think the focus of Slow FI is saying specifically, what do I want my life to look like? It could be spending slightly more money in certain areas, or it could be, I'm going to save a bunch now so that I can quit my job and just run my own business when it's just covering my expenses, right? And so there's a lot of different things that that people can do. So I think SloFi is actually a pretty individual thing for most people, and it, but it's just really intentionally writing their own script for what they want in life. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and you've talked about these different stages that people can go through to experience this type of financial freedom or this choice with their time. So I'd love to walk through those with you. By the way, I love your writing and I'm so glad to have invited you on today because your writing's really inspiring. So let's walk through this really great article, which I'll put in the show notes that you put together, Stages of Financial Freedom. And I'd like to walk through that with the folks. So talk to us about stage one and what that means for people. So in in terms of the stage, like I think there's five stages that people can experience of financial freedom along the way to FI. But I think there's more stages that people might experience before stage one. 
that I will talk about. And I think there's likely more stages beyond stage five, if that makes sense. So sort of these are in the middle, but the continuum does extend in both directions. So in my framework, the first stage of financial freedom is debt freedom. People can define debt freedom in different ways. We define debt freedom as having freedom from debt except for mortgage expenses since the interest rate on that is so low and that we would need to be paying you know, housing expenses anyway if we were renting. Some people you know, don't def- define it that way and that's okay. I think the thing that's important about debt freedom is all of that money that people were previously paying toward debt is now cash flow that you have that you're then able to use in different ways, whether that be stocking up an emergency fund or investing or, you know, different things. So instead of having a thousand dollars a month, you know, go toward student loan debt or other other kind of debt, you actually spend a thousand dollars less a month, which means you can put that money toward your goals. It also means you could choose to make slightly less money as well. Yeah. And that's what it sounds like. You had the debt freedom right at that point when you made that decision, right? To make less money. Is that right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That's right. And you also had the stage two, which is FU money. So you described that a little bit to us already about what FU money meant to you. How much do you need to have to have FU money? I guess. Talk, talk to us about that. Yeah. So it's interesting because I think it's actually somewhat individual based on the person. It could be, you know, from a few thousand dollars, or it could be two months worth of expenses or two years worth of expenses. It depends on the person and their sort of risk tolerance and like what kind of decisions that they're willing to make. I mean, I think of FU money as either it helps you get out of a bad situation that you're in without having to worry too much about financial ramifications or it allows you to take advantage of an opportunity um, or to have confidence to like negotiate something because you know that, you know, you would be fine without that. I think it really is individual, but I think the important thing is that people understand where they are with their finances and actually sort of walk through the scenarios of saying like, okay, this is how much I have. If I lose my job, it would mean X, Y, Z, and would I be okay? And if the answer is yes, then you have a few money. I think that's great. I talked to a gentleman uh, on the show last month who felt comfortable with two years of expenses in his emergency fund because he had gone through some pretty hard times during the previous recession, ended up going bankrupt. And so for him, that felt like I am so protected, no matter what will hit me, I'll be prepared. And it can be different for other people. So like you said, it's very personal. So uh, the next stage you talk about in your article is called Coast Fi. I have definitely been very interested in Coast Fi. Don't know a ton about it, but I would love to hear what that means to you and how people could pursue Coast Fi. Sure. So Coast Fi means that you have enough already invested in retirement accounts that if you don't touch it for the next however many years, you don't need to put anything in as long as you don't take anything out, you'll have a a comfortable traditional retirement. So say you could retire at 62 or 65 with a comfortable traditional retirement, but and you don't have to put anything else in. That means that you only need to cover your actual costs of living. 
So if I'm Coast Fi and I, you know, I spend $40,000 a year per se, I only would need to make $40,000 a year to cover exactly what I spent and to still be good in retirement. Yeah. So if we use something like the 4% withdrawal rate, that would be like a million dollars saved up, right? Well, right. No, you'd have a million by 62. I'm sorry. That's what I meant, but it didn't come out of my mouth correctly. So let's say, I mean, obviously we'll have to break out the calculators for a lot of this, but you might have, uh, you know, $300,000 or something like that in your thirties and through growth over the next 30 plus years, you might get to a million bucks, depending on what the percentages, obviously check your calculators, everybody. That was just me making that up right there, but that might give some people relief because I think that there's this, I need to keep working. So I have a millions and millions of dollars in retirement and I won't feel like I can stop working until then. Is that the type of relief Coast Fi can provide? Yeah, definitely. I think once I realized that we were Coast Fi, I was like, oh, that's great. Like we're still saving 50 to 60% of our income, but we don't need to. Like I'm working part-time. Corey could take a step back in his work if he wanted to right now. He doesn't. He's really happy in his career. But it gives us the knowledge of knowing like we could make some drastic changes right now if we wanted to. At that point for you guys, since you are there, you're feeling like, hey, we got this Coastify thing down. Do you then divert all of your investments to taxable brokerage so that you can hit financial independence earlier? Or how do you do it? Here's the thing. I don't actually know if we're Coastify anymore because of how what the market has been doing. So maybe like we're somewhere now between FU, and Co- FU money and Coastify. I don't, I, I honestly haven't calculated it. So I think one thing to note for us is that we actually plan to continue making an income for the foreseeable future through businesses and through our blog or through real estate investing. And so for us at the moment, we're not really focused on like where are we actually investing the money. I think we're we're still maxing out our retirement accounts and then also putting some money in in those taxable investments. But that's definitely not where we're putting most of it. I'm not sure, honestly, at what point we'll decide to to switch, but I actually feel like if you're coast fi and you're planning to make income for the foreseeable future, it's probably better to keep as much going into the tax advantaged accounts because you're actually not planning to use it. That makes sense. And you're also taking advantage of the tax advantages, right? You're, you're, you're saving some money there, paying less in taxes. So that makes sense. Well, let's keep going. So stage four is semi-retirement in your article here. So what does that mean? Yeah. So I define semi-retirement as when someone has enough invested that they only need to cover a portion of their living expenses with active income. So then some of it is being covered by passive income if that makes sense. So it could be from real estate investments. It could be that they're pulling you know, some money out of their portfolio to help cover their expenses, but that they're able to... They still need to have some active income as well, but know that they can draw down maybe 0.5% or 1% or something and, and still have their portfolio continue to grow so that it'll cover them fully at a traditional retirement age. Yeah, it's goals like that that just feel more attainable. You know, that, that instead of saying, I need to save millions and millions and I'm financially independent, it's like, hey, if you're able to drop 
0.5% of your smaller portfolio and have a little bit to live on, that, that feels great. That feels like an accomplishment right there. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and honestly, sometimes if you think like, oh, I could be semi-retired and I just need to make 20000 of active income a year. Like if for people who are in the entrepreneurial space, 20000 of active income is like, oh yeah, I can do that. You know, for, for people who are sort of hard charging, have only had W-2 income from, from an employer, that might be a harder thing to consider. But you could, people could also consider working part-time or dropping down and doing consulting work. Like it doesn't mean, semi-retirement doesn't mean somebody is quitting a like high paying job to like go work at Starbucks. You know, it, it could mean that they're going part-time or they're going to offer consulting services on a project basis, right? Those are some of the options that that people have. It doesn't mean they're they're sort of giving up a good career to go to a low paying one. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. These are good stages because you know what? It follows along with just sort of building your financial future in general, taking small baby steps to get to individual levels that are more comfortable, I guess, as you say, slow five. So let's do stage five. So what's stage five? So stage five is when you reach full financial independence, which is when you can fully live off your passive income and you never need to work again. And that's it. So that makes sense. So we've gone through five steps, everybody. As you said, Jessica, before we started, there's a lot of steps before debt freedom too, you know, that help you to get where you want to go and, and lots of steps of enjoyment after stage five too. So I appreciate you walking through this with us and helping us understand where we can go. Let's talk to the person who's listening right now that has been maybe on this hard charging path to financial independence. And they're interested based on this discussion and going a little more slow. So what would be the first step that they should take after finishing this interview? So I think the first thing that the people need to do is really figure out why they're pursuing financial independence in the first place. Part of it, I'm sure, is for confidence and stability, but there needs to be more than that. Having confidence and stability and and just knowing that is not going to like bring you happiness. It's not going to take you far in, in life if that's all you're focused on. The other thing is to really think about like, what is it that you would want to do, right? It's that question of what would you need to do if you didn't need to work for a living? What are the things that really light you up? What are the things that really energize you? Like, what is your definition of a, of a life well-lived? And once you figure that out, then you can figure out how to incorporate those things into your life today. Right. You don't need to say, oh, I will just do that after I retire in five or 10 years. And I actually think, you know, with the challenges with the pandemic and people losing a a significant portion of their portfolio, I think that many people are going to look at that, that, that date that they are planning to reach financial independence. They're going to see it get further and further away. And they're going to think, okay, maybe I don't want to just push for the next 15 years at this pace that I've been going or the next eight years instead of five, right? And so that would that would be the thing that I would recommend is figure out really what lights you up and then think about, can you incorporate that into your life today? One thing that's interesting is that many people 
many, some, you know, we, we, we can, we, we could sort of debate that, but there are people who have reached financial independence who have taken that like one to two years to de-stress and detox and like recover from burnout. And then they decide they want to do something that looks really similar to working, whether it's back for a company, whether it's for themselves. And then many of them find that they actually make enough money to live on that they don't actually need to pull any money out of their portfolio. And some even find that they make more money than they did when they were working. And so I I think about that and I think, wow, like that would be a huge regret for me if... I pushed and pushed and pushed and had a miserable five to 10 years to then later realize, oh, I can actually cover my expenses with doing things that I enjoy and that give me a good life. I think that's a great point and something that I've personally gone through. I'm thinking about my own journey. You know, I never thought that I could make a living being a podcaster because it's just so fun. I get to talk to people like you and learn. And now this is my this is my version of slow fi. I have definitely not achieved financial independence, but this is my version of slow fi and I'm I'm loving it right now. So Jessica, thank you so much for being here and inspiring us with this message of supporting mental health and also achieving your financial goals. I love it. So where's the best place for people to connect with you and learn more about what's going on with you? Yeah. So the best place to go is the Fineers. That's our blog. So just the You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the Fineers. And then we also have a private Facebook community for people who are interested in SloFi. It's called SloFi Enthusiasts. So you can search for that or you can find that on our website as well. Excellent. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for being here today. I'll definitely put that information in the show notes and I appreciate you being here. Great. Thanks for having me. What an incredibly refreshing interview with Jessica. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Jessica from the Fioneers. Number one, ask yourself some tough questions to create direction. When Jessica found Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin, she came across the question, what would you do if you didn't need to work for a living? Now, I'm going to pause for a second and let you think about that. What would you do if you didn't need to work for a living? It's fun to think about, right? Questions like these ones can help us create goals that really motivate us. All right, number two. No, there are many different levels to financial independence. If you've been frustrated by the income that's required to hit true financial independence, find other levels along the way to keep you motivated. Now, I'm a big fan of Coast Fire. Coast Fire, as demonstrated by this interview today and the previous episode we did last week with Sam Dogan, because it's fun to be able to hit another level on your journey. Being able to hit that level of enough with traditional retirement is a great feeling. So I guess find your path and see what works for you. Number three, save for confidence and options. The concept of FU money that Jessica spoke about is not only hilarious, but it's so true. When you have money in the bank, you feel more confident to make choices that work best for you, especially during the uncertain financial times we're living in lately. 
Jessica, thank you so much for opening up and educating us all on SloFi and the different levels of financial independence. I really appreciate you being here. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a financial professional for your specific situation. And big thanks to Dan Tabbitt for editing today's show. I really appreciate you being here, man. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do one thing, just one thing to support this show, everybody. Join us in our Thriving Families Facebook community. This is a group of now over 839-ish, I think, families. (laughs) And we're working together to grow our wealth and give our families a better tomorrow. You can find us at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. One thing we do in that community is welcome everybody on a Tuesday with a funny, goofy gif. And I think the one we did last week was with Cookie Monster doing a surprisingly impressive dance routine while wishing everybody a happy Tuesday. So upon being welcomed by Mr. Cookie Monster, Ashley, one of our newer members, said... Hey, just started listening to your podcast, working towards FI. This year, I've started a Vanguard account, looking to learn more about investing, hitting my goal number, etc. My goal is to continue to track spending, keep my budget, work towards saving 45% of my income, currently at 40% savings, put more into my company retirement, and teach our 14-year-old son more about saving and the power of investing. Thanks for the shout out. Great podcast. Ashley, so glad to have you in the Thriving Families Facebook group. I am looking forward to learning from you with that, well, man, 45% savings rate. I think you could teach us a thing or two here about how to save and hit your big goals. So if you want to hang out with Ashley and me and 800 other families, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. I hope to see you there. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Peter Thiel. Today's best practices lead to dead ends. The best paths are new and untried. Good luck blazing your unique path to financial independence, everybody. Carpe diem. 